everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we are talking to James Atkin. James was the frontman for EMF. I'm pretty sure everyone remembers this song right here, Unbelievable. It reached number one in the summer of 1991. This song was huge. And I, I'm laughing a little bit because sometimes I'll say that about songs and I'll hear from some of you and you'll be like, I actually don't remember that song or I didn't know it. And I'll think, well, maybe it was just huge for me. I feel pretty comfortable in saying that this song was huge. I think everybody knows this song. It's still a big deal. Anyway, it was pretty much the only hit they had in the States. They had a few others in the UK, did pretty well in other parts of the world, but that was all. Their debut album, Schubert Dip, included this song. Their follow-up, Stigma, did not do very well. And then there was a third album called Cha 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 that I didn't even know about until I got ready to talk to him. That thing is crazy. It sounds like drugs to me. It sounds like people overcome with drugs. Um, if anyone knows this album really well, PM me directly because I want to talk about it. I have some, I'm working through some thoughts on this album. Anyway, James is a lovely, lovely guy. And these days he works in a school. He's a teacher. But he, at the end of this conversation, he tells me he's putting out a solo album that's called Popcorn Storm. And I didn't know about that when we got to talking. Uh, in fact, this interview was done, I think, in July. So some of the references are a little old, a couple months old by now. Um, but Popcorn Storm is out there. So if you want to check it out, please do. Uh, anyway, these ba this band was a big one for me in 1991. I explained why here at the beginning. I, uh, I thought it would be really fascinating to hear the EMF story, and it is. So anyway, uh, James called me from his home in the north of England. So uh, first of all, I got to tell you, so I saw EMF in concert uh, in the summer of 1991 in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I grew up. And um, it was at the Fairgrounds Coliseum. It was uh, Pop Will Eat Itself was opening for you guys. You played Unbelievable twice, I remember, probably because you were still young and had to fill out the time a little bit. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> right? and uh, I was front and center. Well, I wasn't. I never know whether stage left is your left or my left. Oh, I haven't got a clue. Okay, that always well, boxes me to this day. That does. Me too. I can never remember. So I was uh, slightly off center, but I was there on the front row. And within a few weeks of that show, within like two weeks, Jesus Jones also came through town and played the same venue. And uh, you guys have, I've always kind of bunched you two in my mind. Similar sound, obviously the same time. That summer was mm. the summer of Jesus Jones's doubt in EMF's Schubert dip for me. I mean, they were just on constantly. And so, and that was the summer I graduated from high school. So all these things, you know, this this cool new music coming from England that coming to my little place of Salt Lake City, Utah, graduated from high school, such an important time in my life, and EMF and Jesus Jones that summer were massive. You know what I mean? And you, I'm sure you know I this because you were massive. Yeah, I mean, they they called it the what did they call it? The Second British Invasion. Yeah. Um, which I thought was brilliant. It wasn't really on the par with the, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, but for a moment, in, right. <laughs> for a few weeks or a few months that summer, yeah. we did feel like we were taking over the States with our yeah. little English music and stuff. And uh, I mean, we worked very hard. We, we spent a lot of time in America yeah. on tour buses. And, you know, the time we were there, we saw it build 
building and the momentum going just from the start of a, a six-week tour to the end of a six-week tour. They've got to, mm. you know, bigging, bigging up the venues and things like right. this and better, a bigger response from the audience. Yeah. Yeah, that was just a magical time in my life. And I, one thing I've been curious about was getting, getting mm. ready to talk to you. Unbelievable is such a... I mean, it's... it's uh, it can't be beat. It, there's no question that song was built to be a hit. Is the, it, you guys hadn't been around for very long. I mean, a couple of years, but it, I, I'm trying to envision a band like you guys toiling away in little clubs with this song, Unbelievable, in your back pocket. How did it actually work? You know, where, did well, someone come to you and say, we can make this a hit? How did it happen? Well, no, I mean, it was very, very quick. You know, we'd obviously played in bands, all the separate bands at different times leading up to EMF. But the whole EMF thing happened really quickly. And the first 10 songs we wrote were the first 10 songs we went out and played. And they were the first 10 songs on the album. Um, and Unbelievable was one of those 10 songs. And it mm -hmm. kind of just, we didn't plan it or anything. Um, I mean, we had a... Ian was a great songwriter, um, and even when we recorded it, it didn't really stand out as the one, you know. It was kind really? of like, all right, this is, this is interesting. But yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, we chose that as the first single, huh. and then within a space of months, it started happening for us, which yeah. was incredible. Yeah. So when you went into it, it wasn't necessarily... I, I just always assumed a label came to you and heard you know, your sort of early version of this and thought, there's a hit right there. Come with us. We're going to throw a bunch of money at you. We're going to put you on tour. We're going to give you the right resources to make uh, that thing a hit. No? Well, it wasn't quite like that because we huh. were we were a, a little band. It wasn't... It almost sounds like that was manufactured if you do something right. like that. Like, right. I guess that's how the, the business yeah. works these days. But no, I mean, the band's got interest from a couple of major labels but it certainly we hadn't recorded any songs by that point we just had like a, a repertoire of these songs and it was only when you know we we finally luckily got picked up by emi in uh it was parlophone actually in england mm -hmm. and they said go and demo some songs and we mm -hmm. an unbelievable was one of the songs that we demoed and then we were coming at umin and Arin, what should be the first single what's gonna mm. represent us best mm -hmm. uh, so yeah it's definitely more they were into the band rather mm. than the the song but okay. you know, thankfully okay. that song was massive yeah it sure was <laughs> uh still is yeah i didn't mean to imply it uh manufactured i i guess i just thought no, they had potential you know they thought Ooh, we can yeah. these guys have something and we can work with that we can make these guys huge you know yeah but i'm sure you know i think john the way you've said it is probably how it probably works i mean <laughs> especially with pop artists they oh, they get a pop artist and they find the perfect song for them don't yeah. they yeah um and that's just as important as the the artist i guess isn't it but yeah, um, maybe. it was all very organic with emf it was kind of just songs we wrote and mm. you know it's, that where did you yeah, guys stumble on your sound because there's you know, at that time, I, you guys were sort of considered forebears almost of that Madchester scene. Um, was that what was kind of feeding you? I mean, Epsom Mad Funkers is apparent. Assuming yeah. that's really what you guys, what that stood for. I, we don't have to yeah, get into it because it it's, yeah. it's a riddle that will probably never be solved, honestly. But um, isn't that like the name of the New Order fan club or something like that? 
Yeah, I mean, we were massive New Order fans. Okay. Um, I know we got we got tagged in with the Manchester scene, but I think because we weren't from Manchester. No. Um, and a, and a, a, those a few of those bands, I mean, certainly New Order had been around a long time before us, but all the bands you consider the Manchester scene, like the Happy Mondays yeah. or the Stone Roses, were kind of a tiny bit before, and mm-hmm. we weren't really looking at them for influence. We were, mm-hmm. we we loved techno music and Balearic music and Chicago House records. Okay. And, but we were indie kids as well. So, we, you know, we grew up listening to all your indie bands like Echo and the Bony Man, The Cure mm-hmm. and things like this. But, you know, the times were changing and, you know, yeah. this, this rave culture and dance culture was kind of hitting us. But we weren't living in a city. We were living in the middle of the sticks, in the middle of nowhere, in this yeah. place called the Forest of Dean. And, um, you know, so we weren't like clubbers or anything ah. like that. Or we, were, we certainly weren't listening to like, you know, Detroit imports and yeah, right. stuff on 12 inches and, and things. Right. So um, I, I think it was just like, you know, we had this idea and I, we, I sat down with Ian and we said, what kind of songs should we write? And he was an amazing guitarist, mm-hmm. but I said, look, come on, we want to, I want to do techno records. I want to be a, a, a rave, you know, dance yeah. bands. And it was kind of the mixture of the two. And I think that's probably where the freshness came from, that okay. mixing it up. And thankfully it worked. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And uh, your sound would get so much more aggressive. And I want to get into that in a minute, like what the thinking mm. behind all that was. But um, yeah, I got to know whose idea was it to throw the Andrew Dice Clay sample into Unbelievable? I can't quite remember, but we were working with a really good producer called Ralph Jezzard. And him and Ian were spending lots of time in the studio. And I think we had Unbelievable. We had a few scratches and samples but we were looking for the perfect sample and I think Derry was a big Andrew Dice Clay fan mm-hmm. and he had some cassettes and I think we just popped the cassette in the, in the cassette player in the studio and kind of got it and then cut it up a little bit and wow this works a treat yeah, it does <laughs> wow mm. yeah who would have ever guessed? I mean, that song is still huge. I, I, we, we try to touch on sensitively the business side of the music industry on here. I, I mean, mm. can you just pay your bills off of Unbelievable? Uh, no. No? Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I didn't... We did okay out of it. And, you know, I had like a decade of living off the fruits of uh-huh. Unbelievable. And, you know, managed to kind of get settled in a house and things like that but you know we probably need another six or seven unbelievables if oh. i was going to be in the jacuzzi in the higher <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. i probably you know i wish but uh, uh, no I, it does quite well with adverts and things it yeah. takes for long yeah okay yeah. uh the reason i ask is because well first of all i interviewed mike edwards from jesus jones mm. a couple of years ago and he was, I asked him a similar question about right here, right now. And he said, you know, 80%, it almost makes, it almost takes care of everything, but the rest is up to me. And so they still tour and they do whatever they do and stuff like that. And so I was curious about you. Plus, uh, in what I was watching a bunch of old interviews with you and the rest of the band. Mm. In one of them, are you a music teacher now? Yes. I you am. are? Well, I'm a, I'm a secondary school teacher. So I work in a secondary school, which is ages... Uh, 11 to well I do sixth form as well so 11 okay. to 16 so yeah I don't really think of myself as a music teacher because I just work in a school uh, okay. um, you know occasionally I have to do history 
history lessons, German oh. lessons, Spanish lessons. <laughs> Not that I'm any good at it, but... <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, but, yeah, so that's what I do. But, I, yeah, I mean, about 10 years ago, I decided to, you know, I envisaged retiring, and maybe if I'd sold a few more records, I would have been able to, but life ended up a little bit longer than I thought it was okay. going to be. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, when I got a job, it was the best thing I ever did. It's, it is brilliant. Just having a bit of structure in your life. Yeah. A bit of purpose, you know. It's, it's wow. very fulfilling and worthy. I'm just trying to imagine <laughs> if the guy from EMF with, like, you know, the crazy hair and the, the wild clothes and all that, you know, just the way you work that microphone, that's now my Spanish teacher. Or whatever, you know, that, that's just blind. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. But the kids, you know, I'm, you know I'm, it's not really relevant to them and it doesn't mean yeah, anything yeah. to them. It's such a long time. I mean, most, well, they weren't born when the record came out, when I had yeah. any sort of success or anything. So, you know, occasionally they will say something and serve, can you put your video on and, yeah. and stuff like this. And, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's not like I go in every day thinking, all oh, right, I, I used to be a, a, a big rock star. Now I've got to go and teach lessons. Because I kind of, it's not in my mind anymore, if you okay. know what I mean. I'm just going to teach lessons and the kids, okay. they don't. Okay, care. yeah, no. that is great. <laughs> yeah, and the interview, it was something I think that was on the news. And, and uh, in it, I believe you said kind of what you were saying here, that you said, you, you know, I intended to sort of retire to the countryside. Mm. And in America, if you're going to retire at a young age, it's because you're independently wealthy, you know. And so yeah, I thought, boy, yeah. are they, does, is James just flush with cash thanks to Unbelievable? Is, that, is his, like, you know, future set in stone financially because of this? And, uh, but I guess well, you're like the rest of us. Well, it's you know? not, though. And also, I've had, I've had two kids now, and they're kind yeah. of bleeding me dry. Uh -huh. you know? <laughs> I have three, man. I know that feeling very well. Yeah. 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 Expensive, uh, yeah. How old are you? I'm fun having kids. They are... 12 and 13. Oh, wow. So they're uh, they're at that age. But they're really good fun. We're, uh, <laughs> we're actually we're actually taking them to America in a couple of weeks for a few for a month. So, really? What are you going to uh, do? But I'm not coming to Denver, unfortunately. Oh, you're missing out. That's the place. Next yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? Just for a holiday? Or are you just coming out here? Or is there... Yeah, I mean, we try and get away. Because being a school teacher, you get long holidays. True. So yeah. um, I get like seven weeks off. So we spend a month just on a bit of a road trip. We went to California last year. Um, and it's, it's just interesting because I spent quite a lot of time there when I was in the bands and I didn't really take advantage of it as, as I should have. So it's kind of nice to go back and, you know, and just take take it in again, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Now, are, are you guys playing shows? I was seeing some fairly recent, within the last couple of years anyway, concert footage on YouTube. Do you guys play like you know, retro festivals or nostalgia tours or anything like that? Yeah, well, I, I seem to have hit that market now. It's a lot of nostalgia. Yeah. There's a big thing kind of for the 90s revival. And it, because it was very band-based and all the bands were quite good, well, I said most of them were quite good, but um, <laughs> so they have, yeah, they have like these uh, events now. And, and originally I was like, oh, this is a little bit sad. But then when I started doing a few of them, I was just like, this is great and there's yeah. one in the uk called shine mm. which is incredible and they they take over a holiday camp and it's over a weekend and it's a massive production they have really big great bands on 
all weekend and people can just go and you know listen listen to a band do the, do the favorite album that they loved when they yeah. were in their early 20s so yeah. it's quite it's quite special people absolutely love it it's a lovely good. atmosphere good that's great that's uh you know i know that some artists are conflicted about those things and i talk to a lot of them on here because i talk to mostly to legacy artists but I don't, I don't know if they factor in the joy that the audience gets reliving their youth like that, you know, having a band. I yeah. mean, if I could see AMF again and remember 1991, I would do it in a second, you know, and that doesn't mean anyone yeah, is less good, of an artist. It? It's just a fun yeah, part of life. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm, I'm really lucky to just be able to go out and sing those songs again and people yeah. appreciate them. Although the audiences have slowed down a little bit. <laughs> mosh pits and dancing and, you know, because it's all middle-aged men with um, pot bellies and stuff <laughs> right. and beer bellies. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's but true. I, pro I probably slowed down myself a bit on stage, so I can't really complain. Right, you know right. I mean? Okay. Well, so let's go back to the career a little bit. One thing I was curious about. Mm. Now, so I think, I mean, you know, no offense or anything, in the States... EMF is largely considered sort of a one-hit wonder. I mean, there were other, mm. you know, there were other singles off of that album, I believe, came out. Children, Lies, nothing quite landed the same way. Are, no, is this is, are you aware of this? Hold on, take As you're out there touring and the subsequent singles aren't having reaching the same success, are you aware? Is it eating at you or anything? Uh, yeah. I mean, Unbelievable was a big one to top, though, wasn't it? True. Really, yeah, it's it kind of you know, once you've got Billboard number one, it's so difficult to get another yeah. one. But um, I mean, in the UK, I mean, there was like four singles off the first album which got into the top twenty, or uh, I think it was the top thirty or something. Okay. So. It, it, I didn't really notice it, and it was kind of a bit, you know, because we were having a little, we were still having the success in the UK, and then just having that number one in America was pretty. It was enough, if you yeah, know what I mean. Yeah, it was sure. kind of, but you know, in hindsight, wow, yeah, let's have a few more. But yeah, at the right. time, it was just like this is incredible, especially you know, because we were hanging out with our peers who yeah. were in British bands, and they were all trying to break America or get the American hit. Yeah, and there was only really us. Jesus Jones, and I think Ned's might have, Ned's probably mm. Dustin might have had yeah. some sort of success, but it, it was rare, you know, yeah. and, yeah. Uh, you know, even Blur and Oasis was struggled years mm -hmm. afterwards, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, it's uh, easy. Yeah. When, uh, so I have to ask, is the, is the fact, was it planned to have the follow-up single to Unbelievable be I Believe? 
Is that is that an inside joke? You know what I mean? No, no. Really? No. <laughs> I think that is so obvious. No. I just thought that had to have been like, uh, you know, they're back to back on the album. Let's put Unbelievable out and then let's j play a joke and we'll put the next single as I Believe. Just, you know. No, it's funny you should say that because a few couple of years later, an EMF was kind of in its death rows by this point. Yeah. We actually did a, a, a charity single with two comedians who mm -hmm. were big in the UK called Vic Reese and Bob Mortimer. And we did a cover of the Monkey song, I'm a Believer. That's where we, we kind of found it funny by that point, but there was, it wasn't planned at all. Huh. Okay. I, uh, I didn't I mentioned this earlier, but that same summer of 91, I actually moved to England, right? Shortly after oh, I saw you in concert. Yeah. And uh, that summer, Vic Reeves and the Wonder Stuff had a big hit with Dizzy. And so um, I, yeah. I, I, that song was great. I used to watch that on the chart show every Saturday morning. And uh, yes. but, so, yeah, so you had the Vic Reeves experience as well. We did, and we had the same. There was there was always the thing: if you do something with Vic and Bob, then the band splits up afterwards. And um, I think the Wonder Stuff split up after that. The first time they split up, and I think we kind of split, or we felt a bit after we did something with them as well. So it was a bit uh, why a bit of the curse of Vic and Bob. What happened? I don't know. Oh, really? <laughs> it's just something people say. Okay. Oh, that's great. Um, so one thing I got to ask you too: I was watching, and you guys. Uh, there's a clip of you guys playing Lies on David Letterman. Our next guests uh, come from Great Britain. I have a copy of their uh, newest album here in my left hand in the uh, very popular CD format. And as you can see, it's EMF, and the title of the album is uh, Schubert Dip. Ladies and gentlemen, making their American television debut, please welcome EMF. <laughs>
And I don't know if you guys at the time even had any idea who he was. He's a very famous, prominent talk show host here in the States. He's retired now. And uh, th- he yeah. says, yeah, he says in his intro, this is their U.S. debut. And I was so confused. I thought, well, why is their U.S. debut on the fourth single off this album? Why was their U.S. De- television debut not on Unbelievable? Do you remember this experience? I remember going on the Letterman show. I, I, yeah, I remember him saying something like that, but I'm sure we must have done some TV, American TV before you would think. that. But, huh. but you would have thought so, because Unbelievable would, would have been a hit by then. Yeah. Um, but I think, in all fairness, I think Lies was the second single in America. We didn't. We skipped mm, I Believe and maybe. we skipped Children, and we just went straight for Lies, so okay. maybe that's where the confusion is. That probably makes sense, okay. I'm just going off yeah. the internet, and the internet's sometimes wrong, you know what I mean? Yeah, sometimes <laughs> yeah. wrong. So, okay, so, so how come then there's this unexplained EP? Because to me, an EP is sort of a stopgap for, you know, we can't... We need to continue with momentum before the next album comes out. But Stigma comes out, you know, like a year later. Why did you need an EP in there? Um, I think uh, I think you're, you're, you're completely right, John. I think it was just like a, 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 a... Just to keep the momentum going a little bit, really. Really? Um, yeah, like, I don't think there was any other reason. It wasn't like sort of... Because the, the second album sounded quite different. I don't know whether it's to bridge that a little bit to make oh. it a little bit easier for when the second album dropped. But uh, I think maybe we just had some tunes and let's just keep going, you know? Mm. Okay. Yeah, I, it uh, it just seemed like, well, why not continue to work Schubert Dip, you know? Like you said, I believe in children got kind of got skipped over in the States. Well, why not just release those as singles and work those for a little while, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, mm. I suppose the 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 A and R people at EMI must have had a some sort of idea, or maybe they just didn't think it was for the American yeah. American market. I mean, I th- children's a little bit more UK sounding, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe I don't know. I mean, Lies was good. I mean, we had we got a really good mix by this guy called Jim Thetis. Do you remember Jim Thetis or Jim Thurwell? I remember seeing that name, but I, it's been a while. Yeah, and he did this really good mix, and I think I think the American label really liked it and thought uh. it could be radio-friendly. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. 
There's a, a speaking of live clips, I saw you guys on the Dennis Miller show performing Search and Destroy off of the Unexplained EP. So there must have been your your American, you know, branch of the label must have been thinking, well, we can work, we can do something here. You know, were they just really happy with your cover of Search and Destroy and thought, let's just try this? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was, it had been one of my favorites. Yeah. Songs for quite a while. I, I love Raw Power, the album and stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think they just jumped on it or maybe they were just like desperate for some material off us. And, because we did, the, we did a video for Search and Destroy whilst we were out in America in LA. Mm. Um, and, Maybe I don't know. I don't know. It's mm. kind of <laughs> okay. there must be some logic in their thinking. I think. Yeah, well. I guess. Hey, gang, let me break in here for a second. I thought I would read some new reviews. Thankfully, we've gotten a few new reviews on iTunes and Facebook, for that matter. I'm going to focus on the iTunes one this time. You know, I um, maybe there's something to it. Maybe reading these midsections and they uh, inspire some action. I didn't. I don't know, but uh, I'm really happy when I read some new reviews. Thank you very much. So I'm, there's four new ones. They're all fairly brief. I'm going to read them real quick. Uh, Diane Detroit. Fun, entertaining, educational, and some surprises. Five stars. The first thing I listen for in a podcast is the voice. <laughs> this one passed the test. I love John's voice. That's nice. Thank you. It's funny. I hear that a lot, that I have like this radio voice. I've heard that most of my life. I don't hear it at all. I can't stand the sound of my own voice. So I appreciate when other people say that. I don't know what you're listening to, but keep it up, whatever it is. Easy to listen to. I can hear the, his fan enthusiasm, which isn't a bad thing. Very knowledgeable. John asks the questions you want to hear the answers to. Production is fantastic too. Let me stop here for a second. That means a lot to me. I am always, everybody makes on their reviews always say such nice things about our podcast and often specifically about me and that is very humbling and I'm very flattered, but I love it when someone calls out the hard work that Yan does because as I've said many times before, this podcast would never happen without Yan. Technology gives me anxiety. There is no way that I would be able to put these things together and so we split the work. I do the interviews and line up the guests and do the homework and Yan does all the production and we make it work and I am so grateful that Diane Detroit said a nice thing about Yan because he deserves so much credit. Thank you. Uh, it's everything you want in a podcast. You'll be able to impress your friends with your knowledge. Thanks, John. Diane. Thank you, Diane. I think she may have just sent me a friend uh, Facebook request, friend request. I didn't know her prior to this, but uh, anyway, thank you, Diane. All right, Turning, Burning, and Learning. That's who wrote this one. Every episode is a gem, five stars. John is an excellent interviewer because he over-prepares. Every person to whom I have referred this podcast has become a fan too. Nice. Thank you, Turning, Burning, and Learning. I appreciate that. And yes, I do try to over-prepare. Uh, here's another one from Fabby J. One of, the, one of the best podcasts out there, five stars. Thank you, Fabby J. If you dig the music you loved back in the day and ever wondered about where they are now, what was it like during their period of popularity, or anything of circumstance, this podcast will not disappoint you. John does an excellent job navigating the highs and lows and the outrageous. <clears throat> Thank you, Fabby J. 
That is exactly what I try to do. Thank you for saying that. And then here, I'll read one more real quick. This is from Uncle B67. I don't know if I know Uncle B or not. I probably do, but I don't know. Great podcast with unexpected guests. Five stars. John finds acts from yesteryear, ones you forgot about or ones maybe you never knew, always interesting. John asks tough questions, particularly one where he asks performers how they make ends meet once their star has descended and the sales have slowed and the cheering has stopped. That's, that's kind of the point here. A great podcast that I look forward to every Tuesday. Thank you, Uncle B67. I am really grateful for that. Uh, keep it up, folks. I really appreciate these reviews. I have a few more p- Facebook ones that I'll read next time, but we're just so incredibly grateful. We really, really are. And thank you for saying something nice about Yan, Diane. That meant a lot to me, and I'm sure it meant a lot to him too. Real quick, I wanted to say one more thing. You may have noticed we weren't able to get a deep dive out in October. I think we're probably going to change up maybe the scheduling on that. I had always thought I would do one a month, and the main reason for that is because I don't want to over... Um, work Yan. Because uh, frankly, we could do one all the time. I mean, whenever someone agreed to it. And I just, I'm tried, I try to keep his workload, um, you know, minimal, if at all possible. Well, there were some scheduling snafus this month. I had two or three people say they could do it. And so I didn't reach out to a bunch of others because I didn't want to have like six or seven all happen at once. And then if we only do one a month, it's half a year before these things start coming out. So I kind of went all in on these guests and it didn't work out. Not then, it will soon. But um, And so they, they weren't able to come out. And here's the deal. I've heard from a few of you. Nobody cares. I, I hold myself to this self-imposed deadline of one a month. It only matters to me. You people don't care. I understand that. I don't know why I put this pressure on myself. I think it's because I like things to be very form, um, very you know, tight and concise and organized. And I don't know why I do that. There's no reason for it. So anyway, I think from here on out, we're just going to put them out whenever we do them. I'm going to do one. I'll send it to Yan. When he has the bandwidth to do it, he'll put it out. That's how I think it's going to work from now on. I think we talked about this. I think he's fine with that. So there may be one a month. There may be two. There may be none. We don't know. But we'll just do them as people agree to do them, and we'll put them out whenever it makes sense, okay? So anyway, if you're wondering what happened, that's what happened. You probably weren't because I don't think anyone cares about this except for me, all right? Anyway, let's get back to James. So what? Why? Uh, why did EMF become so much more aggressive over time? Um, Stigmata is actually, I think, kind of a more musical, musically adventurous maybe album. Um, it is showcasing the band and their instruments more possibly than Schubert Dip was. Was that the thinking? What was going on? Um, I think we just um, matured as a band. I mean, when we did the first album, like I mentioned, we'd only been together, you know, months. Mm. And then I think by the time we come to do the second album, we'd toured a lot. Europe, uh, but we'd done America quite a few times. And, you know, by that point, we were a pretty hot band playing-wise. And we went back to our little village in the Forest of Dee, which is in the West Country in the UK. And we got ourselves a little factory unit and set up our gear. Um, And we just went into that album as a band rather than the first album was very much you know me and Ian would write some tunes in his mum's living room on his mum's piano and then take it to the band and develop them where 
the second album, Stigma, was very much, right, let's just play it all out live. And, you know, when, when a band's been playing for, you know, 12 months, 18 months non-stop, mm-hmm. that's when they're really good, you know what right, I mean? They kind of right. understand each other. In, in, yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah, maybe maybe that is why. And I think also what we were listening to was changing as well. I mean, when we, you know, like I say, we were into our house and dance music when we did Schubert Dip and... Mm-hmm. But by the time, you know, we'd, 18 months is a long time when you're that age and you get into different types of music. We, you know, we were introduced to lots of American music, you know, not just the Chili Peppers, but, sure. you know, lots of a bit more bandy sort of kind of music. So I think that kind of changed. And Jane's Addiction and things like that. I mean, there was a few yeah. members of the band absolutely loved Jane's Addiction and all yeah. that, you know, L.A. sound and maybe as our tastes changed our our writing changed I guess mm, I guess so yeah I did it at the time um because it didn't that album didn't make much of an impression in the states um no it didn't were you again going back to kind of your awareness were you aware that did anyone come to you and say this this album's not going to play well in the US or were they very encouraging of your new direction um, I don't remember, to be honest with you. Mm. I know, I mean, in hindsight, I, we know it wasn't very accessible. It's the album that people like, though, because it's kind of no. got, it's very, like I say, the band's playing really well. It's very coherent all the way through. We can't, we've definitely got a sound and a style and the songs are there, but it's not a pop, it's not a pop album. And I yeah. think we're kind of in between people thinking, well, what are they? Are they a mm. pop band that do these great pop songs or are mm. they a sort of indie underground, slightly darker band, yeah. which I think we wanted to be. Yeah. And I think people just got confused and we we weren't dark and indie enough for all the cool kids to get mm-hmm. into it. And they but all, all the pop all the pop kids just didn't, you know, that first song on Stig where it's got distorted vocals and it's really heavy guitar yeah. and synth. <laughs> a kid who was probably into unbelievable. Right. I mean, I'm just talking generally now. May sure. may not have thought, wow, what's going on here? They kind of lost what I liked about them. Yeah. So yeah, but you know, I, I'm glad we made that record because I I do really like it, and like I said, lots Good. of people do really enjoy that album. Good. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah, that track, They're Here, that got some traction, I think, in the States uh, and, you know, in other parts. People forget, look, I, you know, I, I, like I said, the perception in the U.S. is that there's unbelievable and then there's not much else. Mm. You guys had yeah. like 10 hits or something in the in the U.K., at least, and other hits all over the world. So it wasn't that, it wasn't, you know, a sad story or anything like that anywhere else. Yes, I know it's strange, isn't it? And it is really strange because, I mean, whenever I speak to people in America, they know the song more than they know the name of the band. This, the mm. song is definitely mm. bigger than the band. I could see um, that. Okay. You okay. know, but that's not so bad. I mean, you know, 30 years later, people still remember that song. True. Where they still remember a lot of bands who didn't <laughs> have big songs, you know what I mean? Very so, good point, yeah. I can't, I can't complain. Yeah. I can't complain. Okay. In one of the interviews that I was watching with you guys, someone was alluding to the fact that you guys kind of couldn't tour the U.S. anymore, or you had burned bridges, or were became just kind of unmanageable, or and maybe he he was saying it kind of lightheartedly. I don't. Maybe you're he was kidding. I don't remember. But is there a story there where you guys just kind of a bunch of like rock star brats or something on that first tour? Well, we're pretty rock star, yeah, but rock yeah. stars. Um, <laughs> Well, I guess so. I don't think we burnt any bridges. I think the only okay. bridges we burnt was that we weren't selling any records, oh. and we weren't play, flavor of the month anymore. I think that's a, that's the only reason why it kind of died down a bit in America. Because you know, we went over there. We were playing four, five hundred thousand seat venues, and it went up to like massive, like you know, big uh, amphitheaters and stuff. And then. I think the last time we went, we went, you know, it kind of tailed off again, doing smaller clubs and, uh, mm. and I guess it's just to do with record sales. If, you play, if your records aren't getting played on the radio, then you're kind of a bit screwed, really. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I also saw something about a, a lime and a foreskin. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Was, yeah, that was <laughs> our Zach. He was like, Zach was notorious. That was, that was only one of these things, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, he used to just play play yeah. tricks and with, pretty, pretty with his <laughs> with his penis or something on the tour bus. Well, I think he used to shove limes down his foreskin, and you you just wouldn't go near the rider in the dressing room if he'd been in there before. That's all I'm saying. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, that's just that's just the half of it. He used okay, to get I believe really it. Cra crazy, crazy stuff, but he, you know good times that's the kind of person you want to be on tour with somebody sure. makes you laugh sure yeah i saw i saw an allusion to that on something online and mm. i thought oh there's got to be a story here but it sounds like it's going to remain an illusion okay we don't have to get well every time I, I i bump into um, noel gallagher occasionally mm. from oasis and he was we because he used to be a roadie for the inspiral carpets mm -hmm. and um he was in estonia in russia one night and every time I see Noel Gallagher now, he just reminds me because he actually witnessed it in the dressing room. <laughs> Zach doing it like that. <laughs> so, uh, oh, wow. yeah, the legend is true. <laughs> okay, okay, there's a crazy story there. All right. <laughs> nice. Um, so I got to ask, one thing that when I was uh, looking back to prepare to talk to you and watching all these old uh, videos and performances and stuff like that, you got you seemed so self-assure you know it's you guys all of you felt and and looked ready-made to be rock stars and i thought i wonder i mean here they are they're young kids you couldn't have been much more than about 20 
or something when you're reaching like universal world stardom what were the what was the impact of this i mean it's got to be good i mean i'm sure the drugs are great i'm sure the women are great was it just debauchery um, for years or what no i mean it's funny that you say we were, we were very sure about ourselves we certainly had a a bit of cockiness about yeah um, I mean, on a personal level, I, I kind of struggled quite a bit being the singer. It, it certainly wasn't natural. I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like, you know, Freddie Mercury or, <laughs> you know, some, someone who could go out and flaunt it and just be really confident. It was kind of, it was really hard work. Um, and it's, it never did come that natural. I mean, it, it, I'm, I, it's funny when you're watching videos or live shows, it, it is kind of just an act and a show, mm. you know what I mean? But, but you were good at uh, it. Not everyone has that kind of magnetism, but you did, you know? Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, I used to, <laughs> I used to be really nervous and shy. I mean, I never, I never used to give interviews and things like that. Huh. And, you know, come on, I'd come off stage and just go to the dressing room or back onto the bus. I would never do the, the meet and greets with the fans or anything. I mean, I mean, I, you know, times have changed a little bit. I don't think an artist could get away with doing that now, but mm. certainly back then I was kind of just like, oh my God, this is just too much. Let's get out of here. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> was, there, uh, was, there any, was there a dark side to any of this? Did any of the guys you included have any issues that lasted, you know, um, rehab or anything like that? Not really. I mean, we were a bit... We were kind of wrapped up in ourselves quite a bit. It was quite hard okay. to see out of our little little bubble that we were in. It was there was never really any darkness. It was always quite good fun. Although good. we did wind each other up a little bit on tour, um, the drugs and that didn't really get heavy. You know, not till right at the end. I mean, we were okay. kind of having fun, partying. I mean, I was I was kind of keeping it together. The rest of the band were going crazy. I could. Yeah. I, I've been a singer, I kind of felt a little bit, it, it was difficult, especially not just, I had to kind of keep my health together a little bit, not yeah. just losing my voice, but because I wasn't very confident, if you had to get up in front of a couple of thousand people and you'd been up all night or you yeah. were feeling a bit jaded, it was just serious, serious hard work. So right. the rest, I mean, I, in a, if I had my time again, I would probably just go and enjoy it a little bit more because I was, I used really? to just, take on a take on the weight of the burden quite a bit and it was, yeah. and there was no reason to i should have just lived in the moment and had so much more fun rather than getting wrapped up in my own little sort of sure. craziness what do you miss most when you i mean you're you know you're a dad you got two little kids and you teach in a school and you but you used to be for a time there one of the biggest rock stars in the world at least for a brief moment what was you know <laughs> what do you yeah but what do you miss uh, most about those days? Well, I did. I did love the adulation. I know no. that's really bad, but that no. was that was kind of the main motivation, to be honest sure. with you, because because I, I was quite shy and I never really had much to say for myself. It was amazing just to, you know, have recognition and respect just from being a pop star without having yeah. to, to, you know, talk too much or show off. And you know, I loved it. And there was a, there was one summer where it was just brilliant going to all the festivals and you know being and all the indie kids and festival kids just loving you and i just used to love just walking around the festival and taking it all in and you know people coming up and talking to me it was amazing you know wow. being being famous was amazing <laughs> <laughs> I bet. uh so yeah. let's let's talk about that third album cha 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 because 
This thing, I didn't even know this existed, honestly, until I got ready to talk to you. I, I didn't. I thought stigma yeah. was the end of EMF, but um, no, there was a there was a difficult third album. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> I, I kind of couldn't believe my ears as I was listening to it because it sounds like the proto new metal Limp Biscuit types to me anyway. Limp Biscuit type stuff that's gonna that's right around the corner. Does it to you? Am I mis misjudging your? Yeah, I know. Well, we were listening to lots of different bands. It's. I think we were just trying too hard to be alternative, different, and it's very discordant. Um, which, like you say, did yeah. come around the corner that sort of discordant riff, but we never quite got it right. And I think we'd alienated everyone by that point and the album was just really long and there yeah. were so many tracks on there tracks that were up tracks that were just jams another track that we went into Abbey Road and got the BBC orchestra to do an orchestra string oh piece on it and stuff like this it was all over the shop I mean yeah. <laughs> that, that, that all that album says to me is that that is a band that's lost its way I, I must say though some people do still like it though um, yeah. and you know wow yeah, it was a perfect day. It was kind of a hit off of that album. It did pretty well. I asked my friend ID if he could recall the last 24 hours from the TV on the floor. Talking with Bruce in the name of fun. I took my officer, but I don't know what I've done. I've had it all. Like raindrops in the ocean. Like shadows in the night. Know, I thought I knew EMF, and then I'm listening to Cha 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 recently, and I was like, "Who is this? You know, who is this for?" It does sound like a completely. It's a complete. It sounds like a different band. It really does. You know what I mean? It really does. Yeah. Um, it's. I, I'm glad you're. So if I can be so honest, it, there's like it lacks hooks. There's not even a lot of songs with like hooks in them. You know what I mean? That are oh, like, there's, yeah. There's, there's no. There's, yes, it's all over the shop, and I. I, I, I wouldn't even go listen to it. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah, I kind of forget it's there, to be yeah. honest with you. It's kind of doesn't really, it's not really on my radar. Um, huh. And I think, yeah, okay. it's a strange one. So it's, what? Yeah, it's a shame, really. It's a shame. Yeah. I don't know why we bothered. Well, yeah. I mean, in on the one hand, it's great because it keeps EMF alive. It keeps you employed as professional musicians. It puts you, keeps you... You can make some money, you can play some shows, you can play for some fans, they love you. But um, why did the band end? You guys looked to be sort of a united front. Was there fighting? Was it just, we can't, we're not into this anymore? What brought it on? I think even before we started the third album, there was like fractures in the band. We certainly weren't those 18, 19 year old kids that we'd grown up being in a band. It, it was just, things were different. Um, I mean, and the, the, the complete 
reason, the honest reason why it ended was because we didn't sell any records, the record label dropped us, and we couldn't afford to be in a band. I mean, a band is like a business. If you're not kind of getting money in and stuff like that, you can't pay yourself. And, you know, I think it was quite a brave move. I remember, I mean... Zach had left by this point. Um, Derry had started another band. Uh, Mark was up in the Forest of Dee. Me and Ian were still writing, and we we kind of re- we wrote all the time. You know, we'd spend a yeah. couple of days a week writing. And I think it was, me and Ian just sat down in this pub in Camden one day. We had a little bit of me and says, "Should we just call it a day?" Mm. And it was really hard. And I remember going home crying afterwards. I was thinking, such a massive thing in my life and yeah. you know it, it was quite brave of us to do it but we kind of just pulled time on it yeah that um what you just illustrated is something that i like to kind of focus on on this podcast because i talk to a lot of people i mean well everyone's career has an arc to it but um yeah what is that like when you i know you're a you know you're a teacher now or you work in a school mm. now but what happens afterwards? That moment when you and Ian look at each other and you're like, we just can't do this anymore. And it's sad. And you wake up the next day. Do you look through the paper at the want ads? Do you <laughs> yeah. float, Do you travel around well, I mean, Europe? Thank- what do you do? Yeah. You know? Well, thankfully, I mean, the, 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 the bank account was looking quite healthy. So okay, I didn't really have to worry financially. Good. But it's not great because... You're just thinking, well, what does the future hold now? That you know, it's what can I do? What what else can I do now? And it it took me quite a few years to get over that and then settle down. And yeah. it's just uncertainty is kind of really bad. And yeah. you know, I filled my time living off the fruits of VMF and mm-hmm. going out partying, and mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> you, yeah. life carries on. Sure, you know, and. I, you know, and then, you know, a few other opportunities came up and I kind of got into the studio and sort of honed my craft, making records and learned how to do that, which was nice. Um, but it certainly wasn't a great time in my life. Okay. Yeah, was there, you know, did, was there a depression issue? Was there, you know? Well, not so much a depression issue, but a, but a lot of going out and partying and drinking okay. and taking drugs just because that's yeah. kind of what, is, what do you do? And, yeah. you know, you're still kind of a pop star even though you yeah. haven't got a career you still got like you know people around you who think you're a star yeah um, right but uh, you know in your mind you know like oh my god i <laughs> this is completely messed up i've got you know there ain't much going on here future wise i'm not yeah. making many records i'm not selling any records yeah. um but so you kind of live a fantasy a little bit um and you can do that easily if you you know if you're going out partying and drinking and yeah. stuff it's uh you know and you can waste 10, 15 years doing that. I bet. I bet. Yeah, that, uh, you know, I got to be honest, I, I I look for that story in most of my guests and very few have mm. have have told it as eloquently as you, James. I mean, I that's oh, what right, thank you. Well, because I really that can't be easy. And I think like you were saying, in the minds of other people, we still see a rock star. You know, we just we just yeah. assume that life is still golden. But in reality, it's not. And you know, yeah, and it's... my feeling on this too is that rock stars, especially when they start out young, it's a lot like being a professional athlete, where you yeah. you're so good at doing this one thing, but when that one thing is over, 
Are there other marketable skills? Could you go be a stockbroker? Could you go fix cars? Could you work? You know what yeah. I mean? Could you? There's mm. what else can you do? And I and I think rock stars and professional uh, athletes sometimes have a hard time finding what that next gear is going to be. You know. You are completely right, and that's why a lot of people go off the rails. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I've seen that with my with my best friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I, now I've always thought that you had something to do with Bentley Rhythm Ace. Did you not? Yes, I did. Well, yeah, I've been part of Bentley Rhythm Ace for about twenty five years. Oh, really? <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I love Bentley Rhythm Ace. They my they were my they were a godsend because I was best friends with Richard, who is Bentley Rhythm Ace, and he's okay. Mike and. Um, as I mean, this was uh, as EMS had felt a bit, and I had a couple of years doing nothing. Um, Richard and Mike turned up with the Bentley Rhythm Ace, and they had a few shows. And I kind of, I don't know how it happened, but I just ended up playing for them. I think okay. they had some shows in London. Then we went off to Iceland for one New Year, um, and then before I knew it, I <laughs> yeah, I've done all their live stuff for the last twenty-five years, which has been amazing. It's got like, and it came into my life at a really good time. So I got to tour the world again and we got to go to places like japan and uh, south america and but without the pressure of being a um a front man in, yeah. a, in a in a band and just having a laugh so i felt like i had two careers in the music industry really yeah um and the, and the second career was a lot more fun really oh that's fascinating yeah, I um, yeah, it was well. It was at a time of lots of it was lots of raving okay. and partying and stuff like that, and it went hand in hand with the music of Bentley Rhythm Ace. So we were doing, you know, playing festivals all over Europe, going on stage at one in the morning and just in big massive tents, and it was great. I loved good, it. good. Yeah, I don't know a ton about them, but I uh, again back when I lived in the UK, um, there you the UK knows how to put together these excellent. Um, compilation CDs or back in the day mm -hmm. they did you know and I would yeah. buy them just in droves and one of them had I think it's Bentley's gonna work it out is that the name? Bentley's gonna sort you out gonna sort you out yeah that's it
And yeah. uh, that was on yeah. one of these compilation CDs. And it was so good. And I thought, I've never heard of these people. Who are they? And somewhere along <laughs> the line, I saw that you had a connection to them or were on them or whatever, with them or whatever. And I just thought, well, good for James. I'm so glad that he's got like a, you know, a second chapter to this music career. Yeah, it's, and it has been fun. I, I, I just, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And Good. we still go out and play play now, you know. Wow. Um, I, I mean, we've all got different things going on. The the drummer Fuzz Townsend, um, I don't know if you've ever come across him, but he's a um, he's a big TV star in the UK now. He's yeah, got some TV yeah, show I recognize that name. Yeah, he's called Car SOS, so... It's kind of quite funny, you know, huh. after all those years, we get back together, we've got different things going on in our lives. Wow, okay. <clears throat> I uh, I remembered what the what the question I had earlier was, and you probably right, get okay. asked this a lot, unfortunately, is how did you guys stumble on your look? Um, and again, I, you guys were like five, I think you were five, five just really good looking guys and some guys didn't weren't wearing shirts and they're all sweaty and they're pounding their guitars and you got the hair and and the caps and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that uh, was that natural. Was that you know set up? How? Where? Who stumbled on this? Well, I think uh, there was a couple of things really. I think um, we're kind of looking. We're just. I mean, when we were young, like seventeen, eighteen. Before that, we were kind of indie kids, and we wore that sort of indie British look, and then. Times were changing, and we were looking at America and hip hop culture, and mm -hmm. particularly skatewear. So mm -hmm. we kind of got into the skate thing. Yeah. Um, and then we went on to America. Derry, the keyboard player, was brilliant at just making friends with people and mm -hmm. connections. And he hooked us up with a, a skate shop in Chicago called Sessions. Mm. Um, and Sessions, they were really good. They were a great shop, just a small shop in Chicago, but. At this point, we were getting things like the Letterman Show and Jay Leno is it and stuff like yeah. that. So they were giving us T-shirts to wear. Of course, we were advertising their little skate. Well, I don't know if they were a little, but a skate shop on right. national American TV. So they would just give us loads and loads of clothes. Right. Um, and then we got to got to California, and then we hooked up with this company who was called Anarchic Adjustments, mm. another American thing. So we were kind of. It was great because we were coming back with boxes full of amazing American skatewear skate nice. that you couldn't get in the UK. So that kind of really helped us. So in a, we looked at, we looked, you know, everyone wanted to dress like us in, in the UK, uh -huh. but you couldn't get these clothes. Huh. Um, okay. um, but yeah, and I guess we just, you know, we, 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 all, we always prided ourselves on kind of trying to look great. Um, it's kind of hard looking back at the videos now, but you know, at the time, <laughs> it was a look of the time, wasn't sure. it? Sure, yeah, it sure was. We're, now, I gotta, I gotta know: Have you ever actually skateboarded in your life? No, well, ah, I that's what skateboard. I... <laughs> <laughs> it was all about the look. I know, I, I know. Like Brian <laughs> Wilson doesn't surf. You know, James Atkin doesn't skate. I get it. No, I don't skate. I mean, a lot of my friends did. I mean, uh -huh. like Derry can skate and. Certainly, Ian Baker and I know Mike, they're quite good skaters from Jesus Jones and yeah, stuff. And, yeah. You know, they were, they were the real deal. I was just a poser. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, now, what, what, about the, what about the hair? I mean, that was kind of a thing. And I got to say, I, I, I noticed in the, the news clip that you're like me. We, we don't have a lot of hair on top anymore. And mm. uh, yours is gray. <laughs> Mine's not gray yet. But um, 
that hat is that a blow at all? I'm sorry if this is too personal, but I'm just curious because it's what regular people deal with. Is that a blow at all to a rock star's ego to lose the hair or have it go gray or anything like that? <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't lost it all yet. I'm just no, I know. You look great. You look great. <laughs> Uh, well, I've always wore hats, even when my hat was, even when my hair was looking very healthy, I'd always okay. wear hats. So, um, <laughs> thankfully, I can still wear hats now, and people don't see my receding hairline. <laughs> I don't think the, I've, I've gone very grey, but yeah. I think, uh, yeah. hey, I can live with that. Grey is not so yeah. bad. I don't really know. It's to be honest with you. No, you look great. I wasn't. That's not a knock on looks. <laughs> I just from one guy. You know, we're men of a certain age, and uh, you know, you we are men of an over. age, aren't we? Yeah. We've kind of hit that and. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, working in a school is quite interesting because, you know, you are an older man. It kind of puts everything put in perspective. Yeah. You know, when you see trendy-looking six-former, 17, 18-year-olds all skinny and looking amazing, you think, uh -huh. I'm a 50-year-old man now. This, it ain't going <laughs> to, you know, I, however much I want to look cool and be cool, it's not really relevant, yeah. is it, you know? Yeah, it's so true. How'd you meet your wife? Um, she was a good friend in London. She was a musician. Oh. Um, she was in a in a band, and well, and we kind of just got on and. Anyone we would together. know? Any band we would know? Uh, it was a band called Fluke. Do you remember Fluke? I do. Yes, I love Fluke. Yes, she she was one of the uh, the singer the, the singer one of the, the there was three guys and she was the girl in fluke. So if you oh, see man. a girl with red hair, okay, that's my wife Rachel. Yeah, go and check <laughs> wow. her out. I will. <laughs> yeah, I love fluke. Yeah, she's all right. She's uh, they didn't sell as many records with me, so I don't mind. But yeah, she's a great inspiration. She's always. She's really into music and dance and stuff. And Good. She kind of keeps me on my toes. Good. Oh, that's great. I'm happy for you. Um, so I got to know, just, you know, when you're when you're sitting there, where are you? Where am I talking to you from, by the way? Where do you live? Um, I live in um, the Yorkshire Dales, which is a national park oh. um, set in the north of England. Um, it's probably... It's only about 40 minutes up to the Scottish border, if that mm. gives you some idea. So okay. I'm quite, quite away from London. Yeah. Uh, my nearest city, I guess Manchester is my nearest city, a couple of hours to Manchester. Uh, it's very remote, quiet, and wow. peaceful. And you love it up there. I do, yes, although I'm starting to get a little bit 
bored. <laughs> I, I always wanted to move to the countryside, and uh -huh. we've got, you know, we've got a nice house in the middle of nowhere with a river in the garden nice. and things like that. We've got like an outhouse with a big sound system, and uh -huh. it's it it's nice. Although we haven't got anybody to hang out with anymore. If I no. if I'd had this in my twenties, it would have been amazing. But uh, uh, you know, yeah. Or, thanks. Maybe maybe it's a good job I haven't got maybe. loads of to hang out with. Maybe. So, but wow. how often does EMF perform? Um, a few times a year. We okay. we do things when it take when it looks interesting. We don't actively go out and try and gig or tour, yeah. but occasionally gigs come in, like the the Shine Festival, which uh -huh. is the '90s festival. The next one on the calendar is over to Tipperary, which is in Ireland. And that's playing with some Tipperary orchestra on a stage. So wow. if it's interesting or it looks fun, we'll 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 go and do it. Okay. Do you get a, just a ton of offers, and it's a matter of you kind of weeding through to what interests you, or? I don't uh, know. No, no. I I wouldn't say we get a load of offers at all, really. And ah. it's quite nice being quite you know not doing that many because when we do do it's a little bit more special okay um okay but i don't really we don't yeah like i say we're not going to go out and play clubs and I, to be honest i don't think the demand is quite hard you know it's not that big a country so the mm -hmm. demand yeah. isn't really there i don't really want to be going playing you know some city yeah for a 200 people on a Tuesday night, if you know what I mean. It's kind of, <laughs> I a bit, we're very selective. Yeah, I don't blame you. And I feel like uh, 80s nostalgia couldn't be bigger. But you guys straddle this line where you, you know, your early 90s, it's not quite, it may be 80s influenced, but it's not, you wouldn't necessarily put you on the same bill as, I don't know, you know, uh, Naked Eyes or something like that. You know, one of these 80s bands. Yeah, it's funny you should say that. I went and saw a band the other day, and it was a, a guy who used to be in a band called Modern English. Yeah, I just yeah, interviewed him that? the other day. Modern English, just the oh, other what? day. Yeah. Ah, right. and he was saying to me that, because I didn't really realize that they'd had a uh, success in America, and he said, yeah. I know, I, I do loads of gigs out there, and they put them on these 80s bills yeah. with bands like Flock of Seagulls. Yeah. I think he said Belinda Carlisle, I think was the last one, and he mm. says... You know, he spends the summer going out and doing these 80s revival nostalgia shows. And, and right. I think, well, how come, how come we're not doing that? And then <laughs> I think you're probably right, John. We are on that cusp of Maybe. not an 80s bands. And yeah. when people think of the 90s, especially UK 90s, they kind of think of mid-90s mm -hmm. and Britpop and things like that, which uh, right. wasn't really our scene either. So we are a little bit in the middle somewhere yeah i wonder but you would think there would be a nostalgia show for just about anything but yeah I, the lead singer of modern english robbie gray i just let's mm. see i just talked to him on friday i think it was and um they're coming back through town here next month on a big tour with gene loves jezebel and the alarm and um so the yeah, alarm, that's it that's what he said yeah 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 thankfully because of i melt with you they, those guys have maintained you know, a presence. That's why I was asked. And you no, know, he he has like multiple houses, and he lives very comfortably off of Melt with You. That's why I asked about Unbelievable. I thought you guys might be in the same boat. That song is still everywhere. You know. No, well, I don't know what's going on there. Well, then you, you gotta. We gotta work this out, James. We gotta figure yeah, it out. Yeah, I know. I'd look. Well, yeah, yeah. I did actually take this guy's email. Actually, it wasn't the singer. It was the bass player. I'm just trying to think okay. his name now. Yeah, I got it. Um, 
And I did take his email, and I was going to tap some of these agents up and some of these promoters in America who do this stuff. So, uh, yeah. yeah, maybe I should. Maybe I should get out there a bit more. You should, at least in the summertime, especially if you're not working with the school. That's the hot period anyway. You know? It is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, okay. I'll, uh, yeah, and I, I can leave the kids at home. Yes. Even better. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Always look for reasons to leave the kids at home, man. Yeah. I'm with you on that. <laughs> so. Yeah. Good. Okay, well, we've solved EMF's problems. Not that you had problems, right. but we've solved this thing. That's great. Um, okay, last thing. I want to know. I want to know okay. two things. Uh, I, I often close these out by asking a couple of questions. Number one, uh, and I was leading up to this a minute ago, just when you look back, what's your what is your favorite memory? I, I don't even we didn't even get to it. Did you meet heroes? Did you have any really crazy shows? Did you? you know, uh, what are they? Yeah, we did bits. I mean, there's always there was always something going down. It was the I think tour in America was my favorite bit. Um, certainly doing some of the big UK festivals. I remember when I was, a, I used to hitchhike down to Reading Festival. And well, mm. this is when I was really young, when I was bunking off school and stuff. And uh -huh. to go back, to go back five, six years later and then be on the main stage, you know, That's second crazy. on the bill and stuff like this on a Saturday night. That was, that was pretty special. Um, we grew up in the West Country, so we used to, bunk off again and go down to uh, the festival Glastonbury, mm -hmm. you know, Glastonbury. Sure. Um, and then, but this was kind of in the mid eighties when you could just walk in, you know, there's no yeah. security. It was very, it was more of a hippie travelers festival in them days. Okay. Um, and it was great to go back. I, I said, I went back with Bentley with the Mace and we'd headline the dance tent on the mm -hmm. Saturday night, which nice. things like that. Are just they, that's what stays in my mind. Those yeah. big, big events like that. Um, you know, and again, one of the questions I had for you is just, I was, again, watching a lot of the live footage that I've been watching to get ready to talk to you. I'm, I was amazed. It was, a, it was occurring to me how many people must work on your behalf. I'm looking at these stages with all the lights and there's thousands of people there and you're just one man on a stage. But how many, do you ever, I guess, I, do you ever stop and think about all of the people that work so hard to make you look good. And I don't mean just you specifically, I know, I know, I in know. general. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, you've got your crew, and then when you turn up at venues, there's all the venue staff and crew. Um, yeah, I mean, the only time it ever really hit home was I had to cancel a gig. Um, mm. It's because I got a sore throat. Mm. Uh, officially, that's why I had to cancel it. It's because <laughs> I've been up all night partying. Um, right. and, then, and then I had to go off to see a, a throat specialist to get the insurance mm. in America. And it was just really hard. But then afterwards, I thought, bloody hell, it's just, just me being a bit stupid. As, mm. you, you know, and then there's loads of people not working tonight. I, I'm yeah. sure they still got paid, but, you know, but it's like, sure. um, it was kind of, yes, there is a lot. But, you, yeah. Yeah, no, I, don't, <laughs> I know. I just, a bit nervous, I'm just well, no, I'm just watching you guys on these large stages, and the crowds are going crazy, and the lights are big, and the sound is big, and I just thought they're just you know they're just little guys, but so much went into making you guys look and feel and sound special at all points of your career, and not just you personally. It occurred to me while listening to you or watching you how many people have this that there's a whole industry out there that are just they're there to make you look good like a rock star and they want to do it you know yeah totally totally um yeah i mean yeah god bless the crew really yeah. i mean we used to be really we used to be like a big family on tour um 
and for the, we did a gig the other day, and there was one of our old lighting guys there that uh-huh. I hadn't worked with for, until the early 90s, and I just said to him, he was there with the stereo overseas, and I said, oh, come and do the lights for us. Because usually, because these days we don't even get lighting directors, we just mm. use the house lights and stuff just because we can't really, that's the kind of level we're at. Yeah. And he came and did the lights again, but he knew all the cues and how mm. to work the songs. And I was thinking, wow, that is part of the show. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, did you ever meet a hero? Did I don't know if you're a big, I don't know, you mentioned uh, Sean Ryder. Yeah, or I mean, I had to, I remember me and Derry went to, I think it was Neil Tennant's at the Pet Shop Boys' oh. 40th birthday. It was his 40th birthday party, so it was going back a while. <laughs> and I remember we were, we were, and I think me and Dale were just hanging out, and, and I think Bernard Sumner's from New Order was there. And I, and I went over to Bernard, and I said, oh, can I get you a drink? And Bernard said, oh, no, we'll go in there, but come back to our hotel. <laughs> So I went, all oh, right, okay. So we went back to his hotel and we were sat in this hotel room and I had around this table Neil Tennant, Bernard Sumner's, and one of the guys from Kraftwerk. And I was just oh. sat there thinking, this is mental. <laughs> you know, at, wow. at two in the morning, getting up to no good with these guys. Yeah. And then I was talking to Bernard Sumner and he, was, and he, got, he didn't know I was a massive fan and he was telling me about Ian Curtis and his nightclub, the Hacienda, yes. and all this sort of stuff. And I was going, I know all this, but I'm just like, listening. <laughs> Every word you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so that was quite special. <laughs> oh, that's the best. Yes. I love that story. Yeah. Well, good. Well, look, James, I again, going back, EMF were, were big for me at a very pivotal time in my life. I will never forget the summer of 91. So many things happened to me personally that year, and you guys were the soundtrack of that. And uh, I've been wanting to talk to you for four years, and so I'm so glad we finally did this. Thank you for talking. Oh, that's good. Stay in touch. I will. And I will I will let you know this will be out in a few weeks. And if you feel like sharing it with the fans or whatever. Yeah, I'll share okay, it. Okay. I'll share it. And can I give my new album a bit of a plug, John? Oh, Is that all right? There is one. Yes, please. Yes, just because, uh, uh, yeah, I should probably do that. Although I don't need to do it. It's just been lovely chatting anyway. But, uh, sure. Yeah. Do it. Um, yeah, so I have, there is a new album just coming out. I, actually, the, the physical's been out, but it's been digitally streamed um on july the 12th which is called popcorn storm so people can get hold of that at straightvacuummusic.com or it'll be up on all the platforms and that okay Uh, yeah have a check it out i I had no idea that was even there so just to clarify yeah 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 (laughs) good so if we go into spotify or whatever we we search for james atkin we're gonna find yeah james atkin i mean there's a there's a there's there's a couple of solo albums up there as well, but this oh, one, I'm, I'm very that. proud of this new album. Good. I'd love people to have a listen to it. Good. Great. Okay. Yeah, we'll push it. There you have it. James Atkin. Such a sweet guy. I love that. Um, I want to close it out with a song off of Popcorn Storm. This is called Rise. And as I always say, guys, support these legacy artists. We love them once. We can love them again. Find out what they're up to now. What I am just so fascinating to hear what people who I loved back then are doing today. And this is what James is doing. This song is great. There's a video of it out on YouTube, in fact. Uh, Now, we're going to be kind of focused on the 90s the next three weeks, I guess. So we got James this week. Next week, we are talking to one of the, well, she was a great indie artist in the 90s, and she's still around. 
In fact, she just put out, a new, she's going to be putting out a new album. Um, you probably, I probably just gave it away. But anyway, that's who we're going to be talking with next week, okay? So you're going to want to come back and hear that, I promise. Uh, now, a huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man. Thank you, Yan, for everything that you do. We love you. Uh, you guys know how to find us by now. You can f- like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And we will be back next Tuesday with a new episode, okay? Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.